I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. Kane Pittman alongside my friend and colleague, Olga Norwich. And I'm very happy to be back in the chair and back recording this podcast. I wasn't able to get there last week, Olgan. It was a busy time. Why? I was in the middle of transit. Why? There was a bit of travel going on. And From where? Uh, well, I had to travel to Las Vegas. And it was, to work purposes, oh, of course, the in-season tournament, NBA. It was all business and nothing else, as I'm sure that you perfectly understand <laughs> and respect, Olgan. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it was all business and nothing else at all. You were just out there. Stephen A. Smith, Rick Carlisle, just all the big dogs and Kane. Now, you're a big dog, too. No. But you just gallivanting around Las Vegas, around the Strip, doing your thing. I don't know how you kept up. Again, news in the NBL has been off the charts this week. This season, but especially this week, and I have no idea how you kept up with everything in Las Vegas. Well, I did arrive home this morning. We are recording this on Monday night in the US, Tuesday morning in Australia. And I did get home at about 3.30 this morning from my travel. So I've spent a little bit of time today watching some NBL. And certainly when I was over there, the timing actually wasn't too bad. You finish work, you might pop out and do a little bit of socializing. And then when you got back to the hotel room, the NBL was actually live. So it was perfect timing uh, to watch some of those games. But uh, we talk about this a lot and this is not... Uh, well, we personally talk about it, but we don't talk about it uh, in our podcast too much because, quite frankly, I don't think too many people care what we think about our jobs. But you understand this. Sometimes you do cool things and you don't have the time to really think about what it is you're doing because you run into this job, you run into this job, you're working. And it's not really until you you finish up and you have a few hours to sit back and go, damn, that was a pretty cool week. And it was, I think, for the NBA. I, I said from the start, I was a massive fan of the in-season tournament. I think the atmosphere around it was cool. I think the players bought into it. Clearly, there was a lot of very famous people hanging around uh, the final four of this tournament. So definitely very lucky, definitely very cool. So when, I'll say this, when people post on Instagram, in the moment, it's it can feel like a it can feel like a flex. It can feel like, oh, look what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, and go go follow Kane, Kane Pittman on Instagram. Um but the way I view it is it's more like a memory bank where in a week's time, it's, it's the equivalent of like when you're on like a long haul flight and you're just going through your camera roll and you're sort of going yeah. through your memories. Instagram is a similar vibe to me where can you're going to go through your Instagram in like a week's time or in a year's time and you're going to go through all the stuff that you did during Vegas, all the people you spoke to, the places you went to, the games you covered, and you're going to realize that was a very cool trip that I did and no matter how dusty it may have gotten after certain <laughs> nights and et cetera, et cetera. And then just the, the nature of those games and it was a very cool weekend. It was very sort of jam-packed, right? Everyone was in Vegas. That's a very cool experience. So I feel like in a year's time, you're going to look back and that's going to be one of the coolest experiences you've ever done. And last point on this, we might get back to the Pelicans and Dyson Daniels if we have some time at the back end of this podcast, but uh, from a purely basketball point of view, the fact that LeBron James was the guy that won the MVP and the <laughs> Lakers won the tournament, it just felt 
Like that was exactly where we were heading from the start. He was ridiculous. Anthony Davis was ridiculous. It was very cool uh, to be there. But what I was doing, as you pointed to, I was trying to keep up with the news. And I missed the podcast last week, but I did listen, of course, to you and Pete Hawley, and you did a great job breaking down what was going on in Adelaide. Perhaps some of the changes that were forecasted before the weekend were followed through with in terms of lineups and perhaps guys that weren't playing. So we'll talk about the 36ers. But what about the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix? Because on court, massive win over Sydney. But they also made a change to the roster. And just in the last hour or so here, we've had a new player announcement, a new import uh, for the Phoenix. What have you got? So Will Cummings out, released last week for what I was told were off-court issues. He wasn't going to promo events. He wasn't going to some recovery things. They felt like they needed to draw a line in the sand and, and sort of stick with their culture. And so they had to move on from Will Cummings. This morning... Southeast Melbourne Phoenix signed up Abdul Nader. Now, Abdul Nader played for the Phoenix Suns for a few seasons, was with the, the Thunder before that, around 200 games in the NBA. So he's a legitimate player, a 6'5 wing, uh, sort of fits what they needed from a basketball perspective. They lost Will Cummings, who was this combo guard. Uh, Craig Moller went down with a season-ending knee injury. So there was a spot there in the wing that they did need to fill. And so the moving on from Cummings was sort of... a blessing in disguise it was okay this this gives us an opportunity now this wasn't just we have to move on for the sake of sort of containing our culture it was also we have an opportunity to get a better fit basketball wise and abdul nader a six five wing three and d sort of guy fits what they're trying to do from a basketball perspective uh there are some questions he hasn't played basketball in two years and that's that's not insignificant to so the last game he played i looked was november 19 2021 so it's been over two years since he stepped foot uh, on a basketball court for a professional basketball game. Over two years, that, that's like that's a non-trivial amount of time. That's that's a significant amount of time to not play basketball. Um, he has worked out with NBA teams since then. He's worked out with a German team since then. And so he hasn't been inactive, like physically, but this is there's a there's slight risk that comes with this, as much as the basketball fit does make a lot of sense. So the Phoenix eight and six on the season. So they've now climbed to third, although talking about some of those positions on the ladder might feel a little bit trivial because it's going to change because it is so tight. Really from second right through to the back end of the play-in mix there. So the Phoenix are in good form. If you just look at purely the minutes, why they they absolutely needed to replace someone. Will Cummings was playing 26 minutes a night and then uh, Craig Muller was around 22. You mentioned the fact that he hasn't played. I also think it's interesting what type of player he's going to look like for this Phoenix team because if you think back to those stops that he had, whether it was Boston, whether it was Phoenix, OKC, and the NBA, uh, he wasn't a high-usage guy. So what do the Phoenix need, in your opinion, and could Abdul Nader fit that bill? Because to me, they've already got their two stars, no question, Mitch Creek and Alan Williams. You've got Gary Brown who can and take a, a major part of, of the ball handling and scoring. We've seen him absolutely take over games. So I don't necessarily think that they need a star, but I get the sense maybe we disagree on that in terms of what the Phoenix might be looking for. Yeah, so I, I expect him to come in and basically just fill Craig Muller's shoes perhaps to a, a higher level, right? So he is a point of attack defender, which is absolutely what they need. Someone to throw at those premier perimeter guys in the NBL, right? So they needed a version of that, and, and Nader can be that. Um, and then they just need someone who can knock down shots. And he can do that as well. And, and he can score at all three levels as well. So he can he brings more than what Craig Muller does. But I think he fits what they wanted from Muller. Um, the 
the question I still have is uh, being away from basketball for so long, you know, where is he at as far as like how dynamic he is and, and, and how much production he can actually give you and, and just basically how effective he can be out there. And then I do wonder, and it's something that we've spoken about all season, the, the depth of this Phoenix team. And it was, it was weirdly, it was on show that the depth is, is not as perhaps as bad as we think it is with that. It, this looked like a scheduled loss to Sydney in Sydney and, they managed to, to go and get that win. They got big games out of Matt Kenyon, out of Bannier. But I still do question the sort of firepower that this team has depth-wise. Um, whether Abdul Nader is someone who can fill those shoes and sort of be that that last piece, that, that really big sort of like burst offensively, we'll see. But, but that's that's my that's still my question. I don't know if they have that like other star. Like Alan Williams, great. Mitch Creek, great. Gary Brown does his thing. I think he's off and on but I still feel like they needed one more and whether Nate is that we'll see I think he has the over his career he's shown the capacity to do that but whether he's sort of able to do that at this point in his career after being away from basketball for so long is something I still want to see but but I, I don't know if they, they have even with Nate if they have the firepower to sort of be among those top tier teams so if the Phoenix are going to contend for the title to me it's going to be done differently to the way the Melbourne United are trying to do it and certainly different to the way the Sydney Kings are trying to do it just in terms of what the rotation looks like because with Sydney, with Melbourne, they go eight, nine, ten deep some nights where guys are getting double-digit minutes. If you just look at the box score from this win over Sydney on the weekend, uh, it's not going to be the case for the Phoenix and this is what it's going to look like moving forward. So Matt Kenyon plays 33 minutes, Ben Eyre plays 35 Gary Brown, 31. Mitch Creek, 32. Alan Williams was at 24, but that was only because of foul trouble. So now you put Abdul Nader back into that lineup. He's another guy that might play. Keeping in mind, I don't, we don't know where his conditioning is at. He might be another guy that'll play 25 plus minutes. So ultimately, I just think that this is a team that is like, well, we've got 14 games left in the season. We're going with a playoff rotation right now. And this is what it's going to look like in the postseason. Now, historically, that's been a problem for the Phoenix because they haven't been able to stay healthy. Now they've had a couple of injuries. They've had that import change. But Mike Kelly's just leaning into it early. And if you ask a lot of our players around the league, you, you've done it. We've had these conversations before. A lot of the guys, they want to play more. They, this is what they want it, right through the regular season. They're only playing one, max two games on a weekend. They can handle it. They're just going to stay healthy. So I just think they're going to try and do it differently because they don't have that 10-11 guy rotation. Yeah, I spoke with some people at the Phoenix this morning and they seem pretty confident in where Nader yep. is, you know, physically and health-wise. Uh, they obviously wouldn't have done this otherwise. And so he gets here on Thursday, goes he'll go through a medical and a physical. Um, so they're pretty confident that everything will be pretty good with him and that they'll be he'll be able to play extended minutes in no time. Um, but yeah, that's that's the big question. We This is sort of where the Phoenix have fallen in the past. Um, it, it feels is. like Alan Williams is playing at a higher level than than in the past it feels like mitch creek is finding his groove after sort of a slow start to this as in the first like two or three weeks of the season he was sort of like easing into it and so their their stars are playing at a high level it's just whether the complementary guys can can really step up and honestly whether if nader can come in and eventually be a star for this team and granted that that win over sydney's big because that's sort of a double win because it's it's against a team that they're fighting with for a playing spot if they could continue to sort of hover around that area, we say this about a lot of guys. We said this about Jonah Bolden. We said it about Christian Doolittle. If these guys can sort of can start reaching their peak toward the end of the season when the games really matter, then they'll be in an awesome position to win. And so basically, we just have to wait and see if that's the trend. 
So I want to transition to Tassie. My boys down in Tassie, the Jackies, the Jack Jumpers, because I've got a do. very because I've got a very important question to ask you, Alex. I think you yes. did touch on you did touch on Mitch Creeks. And yeah, we probably haven't spent much time talking about what he's done on the floor so far this season. We've certainly focused on Alan Williams once he's returned. And I think in general there's probably been question marks over what, where are the Phoenix actually at for a lot of the reasons that we've just discussed here. But the MVP discussion constantly gets thrown around. People flip and flop every week. We've certainly changed. I mean, like that that's the nature of how it works. But I wonder if you look at a guy like Bryce Cotton, who we saw had that seven-game stretch that was just completely out of this world. And maybe it's me that I'm missing people discussing it. But if you look at the consistency, and I think consistency does matter. And of course, wins matter. And the Phoenix now have started to roll a little bit in the last few weeks. But out of the 15 games, or 14 games that Mitch Creek has played so far this season, uh, he's only been in single-digit scoring once, and that was on opening night. We sat there at the game against Melbourne United together, and he was he was probably not in perfect shape. He didn't play at all in the preseason, as you pointed to. Maybe that contributed to that slow start. But 10 of his 14 games, he scored 20-plus points. He had a massive game in this win against Sydney on the weekend. And I just wonder whether we've gotten a little bit used to the fact that he is this dominant force that just accumulates points, accumulates stats for this Phoenix team. I wonder if we have just got a little bit of, little bit comfortable about what Mitch Creek brings to the table. Well, we probably have. And I also think a part of that is the Phoenix's sort of iffy start to yeah. the season as well. Uh, it made us question that. I think his slow start to the season. And then I think when Alan Williams came in, his really strong start to the season. It, it sort of, all of the eyes sort of were pushed away from Mitch Creek. Because he's just like they're constant, right? Um, and it's sort of the opposite to like a Chris Golding, who I think we were paying particular attention to him because they were winning. Uh, where so if the Phoenix were winning this entire time, if they were ten and three or eleven and three, whatever Melbourne is right now, then I think they and then I think Mitch Creek would sort of be at the top of these conversations, like the way we've treated Chris Golding so far. Um, yeah. And I think I think you can compare the two because. They're just continuing to just like tick along, do their thing in this league in in a really dominant fashion, but in but really efficiently as well. Mitch Krieg is he's a he's shooting almost fifty percent from three on like a yeah. decent volume too, right? Over fifty percent from the field. He's he's basically doing what he wants. He's just on cruise control right now with regard to how effective effective he's able to be. And so I agree. We we probably don't talk about him enough. I think a lot has to do with Alan Williams and how effective he's been because I think they've been a particularly good team since he's gone back in the lineup and so all eyes are sort of just locked on there. Um, but I agree. If, if we're talking about that MVP conversation, which just chop, chops and changes every week, I, I, I still think currently it's Chris Golding, but Mitch Creek is absolutely... As in, I, I think Mitch Creek is ahead of Bryce Cotton in this conversation. Yeah, I just think it's an interesting question to ask. And, and I'm always trying to evaluate how I'm looking at it as well. And I do think that, to your point, we probably focus on Alan Williams a little bit more because when he came back, all of a sudden, everything looked a little more steady for the Phoenix. But so it should. Take off a star player off any team and the other players are not going to look as good. So maybe we should have said, okay, well, Mitch Creek's been there. Because the other thing is, consistency and reliability and availability, whatever word you want to use, also should matter. And Mitch Creek is always there. He's always there over the, the seasons that uh, the Phoenix have played. We know he plays through injuries as well. So Mitch Creek, a player to watch. What about Tazzy? 
So this is the question I've got for you, Oggs, and I've got a big smile on my face. Are you at this point in time, as the Jackies just went out on the weekend, as they do week in, week out, they put a beat down on the New Zealand Breakers, and they just keep on winning. And if we look at the standings right now, they're up to second. They're 9-5 and five on the season. They're only two uh, losses behind Melbourne United as it currently stands, who have been a dominant force, keeping in mind that Tassie have also beaten Melbourne so far this season. Are you finally willing to admit that you are joining me on the Jackies can win the whole damn thing train? Um, hey, this is already, this is already an upgrade <laughs> on what we got earlier in the season. There is consideration... <laughs> So things are starting to change a little bit. I like the way we're trending. So, like, Tassie has, over the past five games, looked like the most impressive team. They've been just clinical, right? On both ends. And so, I'm... Here's the thing. The the issue with me, and this is an issue that uh, Scott Roth brought up, was that they don't guard. They don't defend. And so... That was my issue. You cannot win an NBL title if you don't defend. And I yeah. and I think we've been pretty consistent with that. Uh, we've called out teams who don't defend it, et cetera. Right now, the, the, the defense is trending in the right direction. Now, there was an outlier game against Adelaide that really helped the advanced metrics, right? <laughs> but a game's a game. I'm not going to discount it, but it's just important to note. Um, their defense is absolutely trending in the right direction especially with Will Magne in this lineup, who's playing the best basketball of his career, right? And he's someone who we knew when he was going to come into the lineup, he would bolster what they do defensively. The only sort of caveat that I have is that over those five games, right, the defensive rating is just a tick over 100. It's 100.6 points per 100 possessions, right? That's well above, uh, as in well, like well better than the league average. It is significant. It is better than... Uh, the sort of overall lowest team, which is Melbourne right now. However, those five games uh, were against New Zealand, Adelaide, Cairns, New Zealand, Adelaide. Now, that's not some... That's not... That's not a great run. I don't know how much stock to put into how well they're playing because it's not against significant... It's not against sort of significant top-tier competition. That's my only thing. I think they're absolutely doing what they're supposed to do, supposed to do against those teams. How much stock to put in put into that when it comes to the title race? I don't know yet. I I think that they're absolutely in the conversation. I don't know if they're Melbourne though. Yeah, the fifty nine points against Adelaide. You're exactly right, and it is fair to point that out because we do like to look at the numbers a lot. Uh, sometimes you'll hear whether it's on the commentary or whatever it may be, the talk about small samples. Well. In reality, the entire season is a small sample. And if you have a game where you win by 35 points and hold a team to 50 damn nines, yeah, it's going to make yeah. a difference in the numbers. But here's a question I've got for you because I've been thinking about this a little bit as we continue to roll through. So I think we've got one elite defense in the league, and that's Melbourne. But even if I look at the numbers this season compared to last season, so there are seven teams this season with a defensive rating of 110 or worse. So that means they're giving up 110 points per 100 possession. So it, it's if your defensive rating is above 110 on the season, it's not so great uh, historically uh, in the NBL. Last year, that number was at five. So I guess what I've been trying to figure out in my head, sometimes you, you have to look and see what you're seeing on the floor as well. And you've been right throughout the season. There was some trade-off 
in offensive defense for the Jack Jumpers in personnel. But what I've been trying to wrap my head around is whether this year's league, the offense, the quality, and, and the pure talent in the league continues to rise. So there are just guys that are able to score more efficiently. They can get buckets their own way. Doesn't necessarily have to be through a perfect execution offensively. So I think naturally the defensive numbers are looking a little bit worse. And I wonder whether the Jack Jumpers actually really did make the right call and they realized that if you're coming up against the absolute best of the best, your defense, as long as you've got, you got a solid defense, it doesn't have to be all world like Melbourne United, but you have to at some point be able to score and go toe-to-toe with the Melbournes, with Sydney, and whoever else is up there uh, towards the back end of the year, the Phoenix for sure, who can absolutely score. So it does feel to me that the offenses have just got better across the league, and I still just think that Tassie made the right bet. I do think that when it gets a little bit slower in the postseason, that is going to help their defense as well. And I just feel more confident with the scoring power that they've got, that they can hang with those teams. Now, we might get to the end of the year and find out that ultimately no one could hang with Melbourne United. That might be the case. But I've still got Tasmania. Keeping in mind, my preseason title pick was Sydney. I'm not going to let myself off the hook for that. But from very (laughs) early in the season, from very early in the season, you know this, as soon as I saw this Tassie offense, I'm confident that they might be the the next bet behind Melbourne United. I think both of us are surprised that Tassie's offense has sort of remained yeah. as like potent as it has been, right? Because it was sort of like an outlier yeah. uh, at the start of the season, and it's just stayed there. Now, other teams have sort of caught up, right? Sydney has caught up. Melbourne has caught up uh, when it comes to how efficient their offenses are. Um, but yeah, I'll just remember... Yeah, I, I, Remember at the start of the season when I was concerned about Melbourne United's three-point shooting, um, what I probably should have just taken into account was that Chris Goldian was going to go through a stretch of well over a month where he's knocking down about eight a game because that's going to make a big difference to you. (laughs) I mean, Melbourne... So I'll I'll go back to Tassie because it's important. But Melbourne's offense is uh, second in the league right now. It's it's 0.1 behind Tassie. They are almost the best offense in the, in the NBL, which is crazy because they're also the best defense, which is why we continue to talk about that as like the most dominant team and the team that I think is the obvious favorite to win it all. Um, with Tassie, the the trade-off was scary because they they did that offense, that, that defense for offense trade-off, which, which meant getting rid of some of those key defensive pieces. Um, and I think they trusted in what they can do like structurally. They, they trusted in sort of basically what Scott Roth can do as a defensive coach and at the start it looked scary because they were not a good defensive team and they were losing games because of it uh but now it looks like they're trend they're absolutely trending in the right direction and yes the the quality of the competition hasn't been amazing that they played but that's that's the league we're in you have to we have to beat those teams and so their defense is absolutely trending in the right direction um and i agree with you I, i look back to the grand final two seasons ago when it was when it was Tassie's first season in the league, Tasmania versus Sydney. And I think Tasmania trusted what they had structurally. I think they they played a really cool brand of basketball um, and they had Josh Adams doing his thing. But I think they knew that they needed something else. They couldn't just rely on, you know, Josh Majette to go do something, Josh Adams to do something, and then Clint Steindl to maybe pop off in the game. I think they knew that they needed some extra firepower. So I... I sort of appreciate the tack that they've gone down. I appreciate this path they've gone down. And I think I think it works. Like I've, I was thinking about it a few weeks ago that if, if I'm like 
tiering these teams. I think it's Melbourne and then Tassie, and then there's like a gap between some of the others. So I think Tassie has separated themselves, and I think it's because their defense is absolutely trending the right direction. Will Magne is playing career-best basketball, and the offensive pieces are still ticking along in a in a really, really elite way. It's a big hat tip to Scott Roth, isn't it? And I know you've referenced him, but he's proven with a couple of different styles now, a couple of different teams, that he can just put things in place to ensure uh, that you're going to be right in the postseason mix. And obviously nothing guaranteed right now, but the Jack Jumpers look awesome. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's interesting that when you talk about the tiers, so Melbourne United, number one, Tassie Jack Jumpers, number two. Uh, I agree with you for sure right now, but the team that is not there, and as I said, at the start of the season, I picked them for the title. I had a significant amount of trust throughout the early portions, even though they didn't look great, that they would be able to work it out. And I think part of that was availability. DJ Hogue obviously missed some time. But the Sydney Kings right now are looking pretty shaky, and they're definitely looking shaky on the defensive end. They're not close, again, from a numbers perspective, but you can just watch the games. They're not close to where they were in previous seasons when they won the back-to-back titles. And I wrote it in headline or storyline this week. And I don't want to go all James Harden on the situation here, but Xavier Cooks allowed the Kings to play the way that they wanted to play and still have full faith defensively that they had an anchor, that they had a guy that was as versatile as anyone in the league, could be right there in the defensive player of the year mix and obviously an MVP. And I don't know right now, if I'm looking at this team, maybe we should have discussed the fact they lost Xavier Cooks more. I'm, I don't know if I'm so hell-bent on this being a Xavier Cooks thing. It, this feels like... Because I look at the roster and I think that the defensive personnel's there. Um, as much as I don't think DJ Hogue's gotten it done defensively this season so far, I think he can be that. I think Alex Dewey can be that. Jalen Galloway can. I think Jordy Hunter can. Jonah Bolden off the bench. I don't think it's been bad. I, I think it, this is like very structural. I think it's like the schemes they're going with just don't seem to be getting it done. Um, and and I'm, I'm not sure. And the thing is, I, I, it's just because there's no wiggle room with anything. Like when they went to the, those sort of unyielding switching stuff, like there was no... There was no ability for them to adjust. It was just we're leaning into this no matter what, right? And I don't know if that was the right thing to do. I don't know if you. I don't think you can rebound off that consistently. I, I think it's it's tough to consistently to it's tough to consistently make the team feel you, which is what Jordy Hunter said in his press conference, and I agree with it. Like that, other teams don't feel the Sydney Kings, and then they went to a zone against Cairns, and it worked, and that 
might have been because it was a really cool zone. But I think that maybe that was more because of like shooting luck. I think Cairns missed a lot of open shots, shots that they made the next game against Adelaide. And so they worked against Cairns in the sense that it worked. They won the game. And then they went to it again against the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, who were a very post-heavy team. They have high-level post guys who are going to catch it in that middle of the floor area and make plays. They gave up a lot of good looks. So I think it's it's a mixture of the schemes just being very like simple. Um, there's sort of no nuance to it. And then I also think it's an effort thing. Even in a, even if you're in a 2-3 zone for a whole game, you can't be giving up the sorts of shots that they were giving up to the Phoenix, right? Um, and I think and that's a, a giant issue. It's annoying because we can't track shot quality in the NBL, but if we were able to, I would guess that the Sydney Kings give up the best quality shots in the NBL, and that is not sustainable if you're trying to win a championship. Yes, their offense is good. They're super talented. Uh, but if you don't get it done defensively, which they're not, they're not... They're not competing. I don't think the, the structure's there. Then, then you can't you can't win a championship. So, so a change needs to be made. So it might come down to scheme. I think I think you're right. We do think, and it's not that Xavier Cooks wasn't out on the perimeter switching on to smaller players because we did see a lot of that. We also saw a lot of him staying at home in the paint in those coverages, and he was able to roam. He was able to block shots. He was able to be a disruptive force. I do think teams. Teams so far in the season are shooting 55% at the rim. That's not disastrous for the Kings, but it does feel like they're getting there with more frequency. They're also shooting more corner threes than they did last year, that is opponents against the Kings. So I, I think you're absolutely right, and the numbers do seem to bear that out, that the shot quality is better against this Sydney team. But I don't know, and it's it's fascinating because you think last year with the Cairns Taipans where Keanu Pinder was out and DJ Hogue spent a lot of that time you know, the four or the five, but they also had Wardenberg, who I think was an underrated defender last year coming into the league for his first first campaign. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think DJ Hogue's capable of doing what Xavier Cooks did. I'll say that straight away. He can do more offensively from a shooting perspective. We get it. But he's not Xavier Cooks defensively. Uh, and to your point, I, I always am fascinated by this. When you have a, a new coach come in, because it's not like we've spoken about Chase Buford leaving. All he did was come to the league, coach for two seasons and win two titles. And we, we don't talk about that enough. Now, for Abdul Fattah, he comes in, highly credentialed offensively. You've reported on it, expectations that they were going to be really good, and they are. Um, but I also think there's probably part of him that thinks, well, there's different personnel. I don't want to just do what this team was doing last year. You want to have your own imprint, your own stamp on the team. So I'm fascinated where the Kings go with this in the back end because I do agree with you that they've got depth of talent. But if you think about some of their better defensive players this year, I mean, you mentioned Alex Tui. He's been great, no question. And he looks like he's headed for the NBA. But that's a lot to ask, pushing forward yeah. and then into the postseason. Xavier Cooks is 27. You're talking about a guy in his first professional season and what, he's your best, most versatile defender? I don't know how that holds up in the postseason. And that's not even knock on him because that's hard for anyone to do that. I mean, Tui is the guy that they put on the sort of primary perimeter guy on the other yeah. team, or at least to start offenses. Uh, whether they're in the, that zone, the zone of the switch, obviously things move around beyond that. But like he's locked on those guys. He was on Nathan Sobey when Brisbane was in town. He was on Bryce Cotton when when, when they went to Perth. And then he was on um, Gary Brown the yep. other night. And so they're putting him on these guys and he's doing as good a job as he can. But I think I think this is a team that sort of overhelps a lot. I, I, I'm... I think with the personnel they have, why don't like 
again, I, I know there's like a, it's an awkward situation because Chase Buford was so successful. And so there is a desire to move on from him. And that's a desire from like a lot of people, including Abdel Fattah, who would want to make sure that he puts his own identity yeah. on it, right? Like you said. But there's also an element of sometimes things work. And so the offensively, I think they're good. They're good, right? They're, they're getting it done. The numbers say that. It, it looks like it. I think they go through stretches where they, they can't score. Them giving up these big leads is an issue. Sometimes the ball sticks in sort of like the middle third of the floor. Those are the sort of fixable things. And I think they have the talent to work around that. Uh, I think they're smart enough to work around it. But defensively, like Chase Buford's teams were in bulk, like drops coverage. And it worked with the personnel they had. Like last year it was Tim Suarez and Jordy Hunter. This season it's Jordy Hunter and Jonah Bolden. You can, there is enough size and length there to be in drops coverage until the end of time. And you'd be a way more effective defensive team than what you are now. Um, I, I, I don't think they should put it past themselves to just bite that bullet and say, hey, this is something that works. It's something that a lot of the personnel on this team knows how to do. It's not a particularly difficult sort of coverage. Just try that in like bulk stretches and see how it works. Um, and then and then I agree with what Abdel Fattah was saying in his press conference too, where a lot of it is just competitive. It's just the ability to compete. It's just how aggressive you play. We saw that between game one and game two of the way the Sydney Kings guarded in the grand final last season, where the coverages were the same. It was just a matter of making them feel you a bit more. Um, and I think that's the way this team has to approach it. I think the personnel is there. Um, I, I just think schematically it's just been a bit sort of like hit or miss. And I and I think the sort of effort level just hasn't been there. Well, that's why with the Sydney Kings, you do have reason to give them extra leeway that you would not give other teams because whether it's the postseason last year, whether it's games this year where we've seen them have big comebacks in the fourth quarter, they tend to work it out when they find themselves in a hole. Uh, but this has been... A really rough stretch here over the last few weeks. They're now eight and six on the season. Uh, so we'll see how it plays out for the Sydney Kings. I reckon we've got time for one more NBL team, Olgan. Have you got a team on your mind? Who do you want to talk about? We've obviously discussed Sydney, Tassie, Melbourne a little bit. Where do you want to go? Um, we mentioned the Illawarra Hawks in our headline or storyline on Monday. And you and Pete Hooley... So, so the Hawks were a team that I was high on to start yes. the season. I I liked their depth. I liked the high-end talent. Um, at the start of the season, I was really iffy on their point guard situation and whether they have enough creation from that position. And it was clear they didn't. They don't have a backup point guard. It's not AJ Johnson. David Hickey gave them good minutes. AJ did give them good minutes, but I don't think they have a sort of consistent creation option there. And Justin Robertson hasn't particularly hasn't been particularly good this season so far, right? He saw he's slowly finding his way, um, but I think all those things contributed to them uh, really falling into a hole earlier in the season. Obviously, Jacob Jacomas bit the bullet for that one. Um, but over the past few games, and again, we know NBL is a small sample size. This is a particularly small sample size. This team under Justin Tatum, but they're a really good defensive team, and. That was their big issue throughout the season. They were the worst defensive team all season long. Um, they're no longer the worst defensive team because they've found some things that work. They've found some different lineups that they feel work better and they have demonstrated themselves to have worked. And so if they're able to continue to tick along defensively like this, 
with the offensive talent I think they have and that I sort of trust, and and that is Gary Clark being one of the best players in the league, uh, and I think he's one of the most unstoppable forces in the league as well. Justin Robinson slowly finding his way. It seemed like he didn't really have sort of much like lift, the ability to like create separation. He didn't have that pop. Uh, and then Tyler Harvey playing a role and Sam Froling doing what he did the other night. I, I think there's, I'm not going as far as saying like they're going to make the play and make some noise, but I think that they are a serviceable team, that they are a reasonable, I don't think they're sort of the basket case that we treat like an Adelaide as, or I think what the breakers look like without a bunch of their key guys. I don't think they're that. I think they're slightly above that. I think they're as good, if not better than a Cairns. I think that they can compete, which, and they did with the Brisbane and with, with, and with the Southeast, with some of these teams. I think they're a real team right now, whether they have enough to sort of get back into the mix is a different question. But I think when teams face them, they're facing a very functional basketball team now. Good morning to Adam Ford and the Cairns Taipans, uh, by the way, there. I, I don't agree. And... <laughs> We might be about to find out here over the next few weeks, but even if I look at what they've done over the last few games, and we always look at the schedule, and because the NBL has been such a roller coaster season with some teams that you think are no good and they pluck out a win from nowhere and it makes you reevaluate what you discussed probably on this show the week before, I think it's a little bit challenging to do this. But even if you look at those games, they beat the Breakers when they scored 69 points. I'm sorry, that that is not impressive to me. Then they uh, lost to the Bullets. <laughs> 78 to 77 the bullets have been pretty awful over the last few weeks they've had some some games where they've been destroyed and then uh the perth win i'll, I'll give it to you that's a good one there but i think they're four and eight on the season and over the next six weeks they're going to play southeast melbourne twice tasmania twice sydney's in there as well the 36ers is the one game that if they're fed income they'll they'll beat the 36ers so that's five out of six games that is just really really challenging and I'm talking purely about getting back into the play in mix. So they're four and eight right now. I wrote this in our column. If they go three and three in that stretch, I'm sure they would absolutely take that right now. But then that's still only getting them to seven and 11. And I still just think that's going to leave them a few games short. They're going to have to go on an absolute run down the stretch. Uh, so I, I don't really trust the form over the last few weeks, albeit it's been very fun to see them actually be able to pick up a couple of wins because let's face it, they deserve it. But I don't have enough trust. Even though they, they have got individual talent, yeah, I'm not banking on what I've seen over the last few weeks that they're going to be able to handle this stretch. And hey, I might be wrong. Yeah, handling this stretch and being in the playing picture, I think is a different story. Maybe it was. Yeah. Maybe I was leaning into like hope, which yeah. I don't do, which I shouldn't do. Um, <laughs> but at the very least, this this isn't a team that you want to play. In the same way yeah. that New Zealand, when they get everyone back, isn't a team you want to play because you sort of trust them figuring it out once they're healthy. Um, maybe that's what it is instead. It seems like they're not an absolute dumpster fire of a team. For it- example, if you look at like Adelaide, Adelaide is absolutely a team that you want to play right now and until, damn, the end of time. But uh, the Illawarra Hawks, <laughs> they're not a team that if you're if you need a if you want a scheduled win, if you want if you want to pick up a really important win to maybe give yourself separation in that playing race, Illawarra Hawks aren't, aren't a team you want to play because I think. I think that there's some there's enough there. And I think and honestly, like if, if that team can retain Gary Clark for next season, that'd be an absolute win. Cause I think he's it, it, his season will fly under the radar because he started slow and they've been bad. But I think he is one of the best players in the league. And I, it would be a very cool thing for him to stick in the NBL. 
two out of three and the one point loss there as well though so you're right just purely wins and losses that's what they needed right now they needed to change things up so i'm sure they're feeling uh, certainly a lot better than they were a few weeks ago so i think we've covered most of the main topics we were going to get to adelaide we've discussed then a fair bit you obviously had the big podcast last week we'll see what happens this weekend particularly with some of those lineup changes and maybe we'll come back to the 36s uh, i did mention we might just have some in-season tournament chat and you know, dyson daniels the pelicans they were there they were in vegas and uh, let's face it that game against the lakers the semi-final <laughs> uh, wasn't that competitive for all that long how was how was that to watch in person because I'm fortunate that I've been able to be in arenas to see, you know, Kobe. I've seen, I've seen Steph. I've seen LeBron. I, I, we've seen, we've seen all these guys, but watching LeBron in that game just sort of take over. Um, I don't want to compare him to Chris Golding, but it was like that little stretch just ended yeah. the Pelicans in the same way that this weekend, Chris Golding went on like a 90 second stretch of heat checks yes. to just end the Brisbane Bullets. It was in the same vein. Now, of course, I'm not comparing the two. Uh, no. But uh, LeBron is nowhere near the shooter that Chris Golding is, obviously. Uh, but but that that would have been very fun to see. And and now I'm and then from an Australian perspective, I'm also thinking CJ McCollum back in that lineup, Dyson Daniels minutes and usages have dropped significantly. Um, we I think I think we both thought that it would still tick around a pretty healthy zone. It seems to have dropped off a little bit. Um, and I think the Pelicans are, are slowly realizing that, that that can't happen. That they do need him to. That they need those minutes to tick up if they want to play the sort of style that they that they need to, to win basketball games. Yeah, just on LeBron. So it was also an interesting situation. I don't know how much it came through on the TV, but it was, as it is in Summer League, Olgan, you've been there, a heavy, heavy Los Angeles Lakers crowd. Yes. And so it was basically a home game, and the Pelicans knew that coming in. They knew that they were virtually playing uh, on the road. So the atmosphere was was cool. And, and obviously, we pointed to it at the start, but, I mean, LeBron is just absurd at this point in time. So be able to see... A nullah run like that where he was just like, look, we're getting to the final. I don't really care what the young Pelicans team thinks. I'll just start bombing threes and we're going to go through and win the game. It was very cool to be there. Uh, but for Dyson, I think, and you mentioned CJ McCollum, but Trey Murphy's the other one who's come in and he's mm. playing He's playing 25 plus minutes a night. And I thought it was interesting in the quarterfinal game where the Pelicans were able to really pick up a, a big win over the Sacramento Kings. We've seen Willie Green basically go to a playoff rotation uh, which was what we saw in the play-in game last year against Oklahoma City where Dyson Daniels didn't even get on the floor. And in that quarterfinal game, he only played a handful of minutes. And in the first half against the Lakers, he only played four minutes and he wasn't back on the floor. The only reason he came back on the floor was because they were getting beaten by 30 points. So if you just look at that, it honestly doesn't bode that well if the Pelicans are healthy moving forward because yes, Dyson Daniels is absolutely one of their better defensive players but they do also have a number of other guys that can defend and they probably bring a little bit more to the table offensively so you know i i asked Dyson about that he was generous as he always is we had a, a couple of conversations and he's very aware that he has to be knocking down those three-point shots he has to be finding a way yeah. that he isn't hurting the offense when he's out on the floor and he's not a guy that's been left wide open like he has been a little bit over the last few weeks so he's aware of it uh he actually still seems like he feels more confident on the offensive end it's just a matter of making those shots and now because the pelicans are back healthy again or, or absolutely as close as they have been throughout the season the kind of the window to make the most of those opportunities has just shrunk significantly i don't know what it is about australian guards 
and just outside of Patty Mills, just not being able to to shoot it consistently. Uh, it's like we obviously we went through this with Ben Simmons. Uh, now we're going through it with Giddy as well. Where in order to be on the floor with the makeup of the team that you're on, you need to be able to hit those shots. Uh, and if you're not, your coach will play guys who will. And so yeah. we're seeing, for example, in, in Oklahoma City, Isaiah Joe get extended minutes. Trey Mann's getting these minutes. Aaron Wiggins is getting these minutes. Um, Case and Wallace is, because these guys are hitting shots. And it's the same thing in a Pelicans team that is not going to go away from a Valanciunas Williamson frontcourt. And then you have someone like Herb Jones who will hit shots, but I don't yeah. know if he's like pure knockdown. And then, so it's like, okay, we need some some shooters out there. And so, yes, you, you mentioned you, you play Trey Murphy. You play these other guys who you trust to hit shots more than Dyson does. And, and Dyson right now shooting at just under 25% on the season um, on like enough volume to put stock into that number. And so that number has to get better. Uh, when you look at sort of the, the form and the way he shoots it and, and sort of the way he sort of steps into the shots and jumps into them, I think I trust the, the jumper to be there. It's not broken. Uh, I think we've seen enough of it that you, you can sort of trust it. Uh, but yeah, the, this is it's all outcome-based. If you can hit those shots, you will play in a team that is playing two post guys. If not, then not that you're redundant out there, but you make it really difficult for your team to operate offensively. It's interesting. We talk about opportunity and where you get drafted. And he did go to a, a spot that has a number of versatile athletic defensive players. Uh, I'm sure he would be coveted significantly more somewhere else now clearly we look at josh green as a template right now for australian uh, guards or australian players that came into the league and there was a question over the shot there was a question over the offense and josh green's been able to take a step pretty quickly but he he did do that in year three this is year two for dyson daniels we'll see what it looks like moving forward for him i do expect i mean this pelicans team is playing really really well they were very disappointed they actually were one of the teams that was desperate to be in vegas and desperate to hopefully try and get to the final so they were disappointed by that, but overall, they've been trending in the right direction, and a lot of it has been defensively. So we'll see what happens there uh, with Dyson Daniels and the Pelicans. But sad, sad to see our only Australian uh, go out very quickly like that in in the in season tournament. But we'll see what happens with the Pelicans. Yeah, I'm the again we we and I I don't like doing this all the time, but so much of what we do is in the lead up to. The Olympics, especially when we're sort of keeping eye on these Australian guys. Um, and so, yeah, Josh Green injured right now, but finding his way. Paddy Mills is getting some minutes, which is cool. Uh, but yeah, it's all, it's a really interesting, precarious spot for Brian Gordon right now. Um, Dante obviously doing his thing. So yeah, I'm intrigued to see where this, where this all goes moving forward. And, and yeah, and then, just to wrap up on the in-season tournament, it was it was enjoyable. It it's been a while since like a regular season game has become like appointment viewing for NBA fans, and I think this was as close as you're going to get. Um, I feel like it, it went as well as it could have, and obviously the outcome of LeBron and the Lakers winning uh, is yes. wonderful for the NBA as far as sort of keeping eyes on it. But just in general, uh, it was it was. It did have like an FA Cup sort of vibe in the way that football does it with with in European football. I I'm a proponent for it. The courts, I get it. The whatever, but I feel like the basketball did lift. I feel like the standard lifted. 
And I think it'll only get better. I think that they will make some tweaks. Adam Silva already pointed to that uh, on the weekend. Uh, and I think the longer it goes, the less teams will probably feel like they need to act like they're too cool for it. Credit credit for the Lakers because I, I thought that they celebrated. The celebrations were still a little muted. And I'm curious to see as the longer it goes, where the guys just you know let go and say, hey, we just won something in December. This is awesome. They still had the champagne. They still had the goggles on. They were... Throwing down beers after the game, we we saw that, which was which was fun. But they let it go, celebrate. They're gonna hang a banner. It's it's cool. How's LeBron won four championships and still doesn't know how to pop a champagne bottle? That was a tough video. <laughs> he was just Very shaking tough. a champagne bottle and just he was literally just spilling champagne on the floor. What happened? Maybe they like this isn't a real title. We're gonna skip some money on the on the champagne. Or what, what happened? We'll just we'll just give them a Pinot. We'll just give them a Pinot Grigio and. And they can make their own bubbles from it. I don't know. I'm not sure what went down there. But anyway, uh, it was a lot of fun. So plenty going on with the NBL, as we pointed to from the start of the show today. So make sure you keep it locked on ESPN.com.au. If there's any more news to be broken, my man, Olg Knowledge will be all over it. Uh, Right throughout the week, Olg's notebook on the website coming up this week. The Jump, Nothing But Net, NBL, NBA, everything is there. So make sure you keep it locked on ESPN. Hey, Olg's. It's a pleasure to be back with you, my friend. I'm just happy that I'm going to get a good night's sleep tonight, well-rested, and I'm ready to bounce back tomorrow. If the listener of this could see your stupid grin, as you said, I'm good to be back after a week of just <laughs> of, of just skipping around Las Vegas. I'd, I'm sick. I'm absolutely sick. Come on, man. I missed you. I'm glad to be back on this podcast. We'll be back same time next week. Uh, this has been the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. Kane Pittman, Olga Nulich. We'll catch you next week. 